You are now listening to the Hunter's Advantage Podcast. We preserve the history and sport of hunting through curious conversation and action-packed hunts, as well as offering you tips and strategy for more successful hunts. The Hunter's Advantage podcast is powered by Out on a Limb Manufacturing. Out on a Limb is a family-owned company based right here in Oklahoma that makes tree stands, saddle platforms, climbing sticks, and so much more. Christian, I have a quick question. What's that? What bites sound harder, a hippo or an alligator? No idea. It's a trick question. The Ridge Runner 2.0 bites harder than both of them. But all jokes aside, we use these products all across the land on public or private. These help us get into any tree we want and hunt where the deer actually are. Most men go to the grocery store for their meat, but these products help you go to God's grocery store. I have used the Out on a Limb Ridge Runner 2.0 and the Shakar Sticks for the last few years hunting public land bucks, and I've actually shot several bucks out of this setup. If you want to support the podcast and get some Out on a Limb equipment, make sure to go to outonalimmfg.com and use code HNTA10 for 10% off at checkout. Once again, if you want to support the podcast... Go to outonalimmfg.com and use code HNTA10 at checkout for 10% off. Now let's get back to the podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Hunter's Advantage podcast. Today we are joined by not one, but two special guests um, from the Suburban Bowhunter, BJ Davis and Cheeto Marlowe from Alabama. How are you guys doing? We're good. Cheeto, are you... Are you uh are you recovering from your wisdom tooth surgery I saw on Instagram <laughs> early in the month? It is uh I, I'm I'm eating everything now, which is great. It was <laughs> it was tough for about a week just drinking stuff. So uh, not yeah, a good. I've thing. had more people ask me about that than I think anything else that I've posted in the last year. <laughs> oh yeah, did they did they get you on some good painkillers at least, or did you go cold turkey? Dude, honestly, I took them one time, and I've I'm not a fan of feeling like that and i stopped i mean i felt like i was about to fall through the floor like it just the floor didn't exist when i took one of those <laughs> so i was like i'm i'm good i'll just fight through the pain so i took one I, and done well i'm i'm the complete opposite i could understand how people get addicted to those painkillers because i had all mine taken out on the same day which i'm cherokee so i went to the cherokee clinic and they're hit and miss on on you know I guess who you get when you go to the dentist. Yeah. One of them got like botched and they had to stitch up my lower jaw. And so it was all swollen. And the only thing I could drink was a chocolate malt from Brahms. I don't know if y'all have Brahms in Alabama or not, but Mm -hmm. if you come over here towards Oklahoma, stop by Brahms, you won't be disappointed. And uh, you get a chocolate malt there and take one of those pills and you're, you're good for the day. I don't want to sound like (laughs) a druggie or something, but (laughs) yeah, they gave us good. They gave me Percocet, which I was like, this is a legit like drug. Like I've heard about this one. <laughs> I would lay in my bed. It felt like I was like hovering above my bed. I was like, this I is think awesome. that's, I think that's what I had. And I just, yeah. did, I didn't, I was not, not ready for that at all. But, uh, but yeah, I, I will say the milkshakes, I haven't had a milkshake in a really long time. I've been trying to not eat crazy because I eat so much food. I don't need to eat sweets on top of that as <laughs> I'd be huge, bigger than I am now. But uh, I did have a chocolate milkshake from, geez, I, I don't know, um, maybe McDonald's or Arby's. I don't know where my, my mom got it for me. But, geez, that thing, it felt like there's this guy on Instagram that I see is real sometimes. I think it's called, like, 
pooping dad or something like that. And he's like, <laughs> I love milkshakes. And he's like, he just does weird things. Like sits on the toilet and you only see his face. He's like drinking a milkshake and he just like blows up. I'm like, that's exactly how I felt after I drank one milkshake. Uh-huh. Like, I'm good with not drinking any more milkshakes. It was Gee, awful. First, let's not set a bad impression by being completely <laughs> dishonest. With you guys. I don't think we've ever gone through the Chick-fil-A drive through and you not got a milkshake. Dude, I don't get milkshakes at all anymore. That's Come Jesus' on. milkshake, so it's different, you know. I haven't had one since <laughs> right. since yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> Extra whipped cream cherry on top, dude. Come on. Every uh, time. All the fixings. That is not true. I don't even like whipped cream. <laughs> uh, uh, that's awesome. About that deal, though, I mean, like, he was, you know, I guess his wife was working, so he asked me to go pick him up. And... So I go to the clinic or whatever, and they're like, pull around the back. All the patients come out. And he's like, hey, dude, film this. Film this. It's going to be funny, you know? I was like, oh, my gosh. Patients start coming out, and they're a little wobbly. You know, they walk down a little thing, jump in the car, drive away. So like, maybe this will be kind of funny. Cheeto comes out, and he's got the, the gauze. The like ladies are both holding him on either side. He can't even walk down that. I was like, ooh. This doesn't look like it's going to be funny. This looks like it might be like scary, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but it turned out to be great. I had to do a lot of editing on that video. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I love wisdom teeth stories. Those are always the best. What have besides wisdom teeth, soccer games, and milkshakes? What have you guys been up to uh, this summer as far as like um, trying to locate some bucks or just summer activities? Yeah, man. So Alabama, you know. I don't know. Are y'all allowed to bait in Oklahoma? Mm-hmm. Big, yeah. Big state. So, so right now for us, it's uh, um, locating targets. So we're moving cameras around. We run a bunch of cell cameras. And um, so we are moving our cameras around, refreshing the bait. <clears throat> we have a, a heavy deer population. So 80 pounds of corn will be gone in four days. Um, so it's, it goes pretty quick and the bucks are battered up a lot. So we're constantly just moving around trying to find a target, uh, which we've got a couple located. So Cheetah's got a real nice one on camera this year. Real nice. So, yeah. What's, what's the deal on that one, Cheetah? Um, man, he's awesome. And don't let BJ shy away. He's got one that looks, looks very similar to old high hopes. So, uh, just a little bit smaller, but still huge. A good bit smaller. <laughs> just just 180. He's you know barely yeah. just <laughs> close to 180, but he's he's still massive. Yeah, that's um, awesome. But yeah, so I have a uh, deer that we named Chubbs last year. He's a last year he was a just a mainframe eight um, and was close to 160, and if not 160, and then this year he's probably going to exceed that. Uh, as an 11 point so um he's he's pretty wicked uh so just really extremely tall g2s and some gnarly brow tines are just he's just pretty special so is that the one you named chubbs on your instagram mm-hmm. okay yeah i seen that he's a freaking beast yeah. yeah he's huge we just got some more recent like i did some video uh on the camera and he, he is a lot bigger than that last picture that I, I showed. So he's pretty crazy. All right. So, so since we're talking about that deer, let me get y'all's opinion real quick. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Chia knows where I'm going with this. 
Okay. Only well, on every podcast we've done. <laughs> for 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 people that don't follow us or know who we are, or whatever. Cheeto, he's the fun-loving, funny guy. You know, the likable one. I'm kind of the grumpy, old, salty one, I guess you could say. So <laughs> most people are going to be on his side, which is fine. But <laughs> let, let's let's run through the facts over quick on this deer. I found the deer, correct? Correct. I found the deer. Okay. Uh, Cheeto spent what three minutes on Google and got the guy's phone number where the deer was located, or forty-five minutes of deep searching had to okay. go. Forty-five. Okay. Give you an hour. Give you an hour. Okay, he's got yep. an hour of searching for a phone number. <clears throat> I called the guy. Right. Wait, but see, all BJ always leaves out the fact he's like, yeah, I called the guy, but. I had the number and I was like, dude, I've got the number. Let you want me to call him right now? And he's like, do you want me to call him? And he's like, I'll, I'll just call him. I'll call him. And I was like, okay. I mean, Who's the better work. closer out of the, out of the two? <laughs> so, exactly. We're about to see. Yeah. So well, I got permission. I landed the permission, right? <laughs> Fact. Okay. Fact. So, just, so let's just go from there. So found the deer, <laughs> got the permission. I mean, who who should be the one hunting the deer? I'm just curious. Well, he kind Let of me. Let me ask this: the deer. How'd you find the deer? Was was this just you're driving down the road and you seen them from from the road, or was that like significant? <laughs> no, it was a there was a tip uh, on a on a deer that somebody messaged on the suburban bow hunter uh, okay. said, "Hey, there's a pretty big deer in this area," and uh, and BJ went and scouted it out and found him, saw him, and then. Uh, we looked around and then I started searching for numbers and stuff. So, but normally if it comes to door knocking or any of that kind of jazz, actually communicating with people, BJ, who does that? You're the door knocker. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, in, in all serious though, like, I mean, we're, she does my best friend. And so neither one of it, like I would be so fired up if he killed that deer. So fired up. I mean, obviously it'd be pretty sweet to run the air with them, but <laughs> you know, if it happens, it'll be, um, we'll be, we'll be celebrating either way. Yeah. Well, he spent an hour on the dark web looking for the phone number. So there's, <laughs> he gets to hunt him October through November 15th. And then you can try after that. <laughs> well, he actually, the truth is he had all last season free shot, but I told him, I was like, okay, you got this whole year, man, crush it, go get the deer. But next year, which is now this year, I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm tapping in. <laughs> which I don't know that. Here's what happened is last year, he literally, it was like a week and a half, maybe, maybe two weeks max into the hunting, like into the season. Cause we don't start till October 15th, which is to me, it's really late. Uh, mm -hmm. And by then they've already split up. They've gone somewhere else. And so and the place where we're hunting is seems to be his summer spot. So it's like, if you don't get him the first week, it's over. And so I maybe hunted there five or six times tops and he wasn't showing up. So I wasn't going to be there. So stayed out of there. And, and then he showed up randomly one time in January and then the end of February. So, so now he's back, but it was just a sucky, sucky year. So BJ was excited. <laughs> <laughs> how how long does your season go if it starts October 15th? You guys got to be dripping into February, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. That is so nuts. Cause like I saw uh, Joe Miles put something on his 
Instagram yesterday, shot a buck like yesterday, like mid August in South Carolina. And then you guys don't even start till October 15th. Like that's pretty nuts. Yeah. It's, it's long. Now I do, I am excited about a Georgia deer that uh, I got on and he is a showstopper for sure. But I know that there's a hundred people hunting this deer. And I mean, I might get an opportunity at him. Uh, the place I got access to is pretty much where he's staying all the time. So, so I have a good opportunity, but it's, uh, everyone's going to be after him opening day. So that's kind of the fun of the, you guys are, are, are most of these deer suburban. I mean, before besides like, don't give out all your secrets, but I mean, I'm assuming most of these bucks are suburban bucks. Yeah. Okay. Highly suburban. <laughs> yeah. That, that makes it a, even more of a unique challenge. When did you guys get into the, the suburban stuff? Because it's super fascinating to me. I've only done that stuff like one time. Yeah. Yeah. So we're kind of like a subcategory of a subcategory of a subcategory in the hunting world. So some people love it. Some people hate it. But, um, for, for us, um, for, well, for me, you know, it was, uh, just having five kids like in Alabama, if you're going to go look after big deer, you have to go to the black belt, which is like a really known um, habitat for deer in the state. It's about two hours south of Birmingham. Kind of runs the whole southern portion of the state. And uh, so you, you go get in a private club down there and you join with other hunters. And, you know, that's how you try to find a big deer, typically in the state of Alabama. Um, and for me and with the kids and with the wife driving two hours leaving on a Friday, coming back on Sunday, just wasn't working, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, so my wife was like, let's, can we figure out another plan? <laughs> and, um, then I ran across a seek one video where I saw those guys in Atlanta killing giants right in the middle of Atlanta and, uh, growing up in Birmingham and this being my stomping grounds in my hometown, I know every pocket of woods I've seen deer. I know where they are. And, um, didn't really even know it was possible or legal, um, so that's how I dove into that side of it to see what the legalities were and see what the possibilities were. And this was like 2017 or so mm-hmm. and um, ended up kind of being early to the table, I guess, and getting a bunch of good spots. And um, so that's how it started for me. And Cheetah was right there, kind of tagged on right around the same time period. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah and I, I basically tagged on because I did the same thing, saw our buddies and seek one and, saw what they were doing and I saw Drew, the video that kind of got me was, it's not even on their channel anymore. They took it down, but uh, Drew killed a deer literally right off of somebody's driveway behind a hay bale. And I was like, dang, that's awesome. Like, cause I was part of a hunting club with my uncle um, that I had gotten into later in life. Um, cause I grew up hunting with my uncles on both my mom's side and my dad's side. And my dad wasn't a huge hunter but he would go, we just never had leasing land or, you know, lease land or anything like that or any property to hunt with my direct family. But, um, but I would always go with my uncles and that invite kind of wore out as you got older, you know, cause everyone's seeking deer and big bucks. And so you just can't really kill a big buck as a guest at a hunting club and people like you. So, uh, anyway, so I, I kind of saw what they did and I was like, man, I can do that here. Cause growing up we would always just drive around neighborhoods just to look at deer in the evening and we would see massive deer and it just never crossed my mind to be like maybe i should hunt those deer so so it was really cool it was a it was a great thing to get into just especially with people that you know can't afford you know the big hunting club scene and the 
the weekends away from family and things like that. So just worked out. And and Birmingham, it's, you know, I think people get the wrong idea sometimes when they see some of the deer or whatever. I mean, it's Birmingham is not as dense or as populated as Atlanta. And so we still have a lot of really big undeveloped tracks, like around communities, subdivisions, golf courses, parks or whatever. Um, so we still have a lot of big woods. So, uh, you know, we got deer that it's not like they're eating out of grandma's bird feeder and you can sit on the trampoline and shoot them, you know, in a lot of cases it's, I mean, you're, it's full on hunting. It's just, you know, you might hear a school bus go by, you know, <laughs> you know or something or, you know, it's, uh, it's just, it's a little bit of, of a different setup and Atlanta, you know, we find it with our buddies over there and it's, you are straight up in somebody's backyard. I mean, it's so, the houses are so dense, so populated together. You're not going to find a big block. I mean, they're just not there, but the deer population is so overrun. And same thing here in Birmingham, a lot of places like it's, it's unhealthy for the deer herd. It's unhealthy for the environment. The habitat is just, just devoured from deer, not having enough to eat. And it just hurts everything. We actually have a, a uh, 10,000 acre state park kind of right in the middle of our city. And, um, uh, they, the biologists studied it over a period of time and realized because they hadn't allowed hunting in uh, years and years and years, um, that the deer had gotten so populated that they've eaten everything from a deer's head height down to the ground. And it's affected all the woodland creatures, the nesting birds, like everything that eats in that area. So they finally allowed bow hunters to come in and start thinning out the herd and they saw everything kind of spring back. And um, so that's a big part of, it's part of our pitch. I mean, not only are we, we're chasing after big bucks. I mean, that's the the end game, but we're also really are trying to, you know, help the environment, help the deer population. And, uh, you know, there's just not these big, huge deer, like you see Lee killing all the time. I mean, that's just, that dude's a maniac and you have to be a maniac (laughs) to find those. And we just, we're happy with a nice 130 inch, you know, hopefully five-year-old buck, you know? Um, so anyway, it's a little different. All right. Since you said, uh, like you're looking for a five-year-old buck that kind of got me thinking a little bit. Are you guys age versus score? Are you guys more age guys or score? I mean, so that just depends. I mean, like, so like right now we're looking for targets, you know, so different bucks show up and there's, some that have a really nice looking head and that's hard to pass on. Yeah, I would. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know then there, but then there's some, I mean, that you can tell they're, I mean, they got that swag back, that deep shoulder, and big mm-hmm. long, you know, that Roman nose or whatever. And they're just an old, old buff. So they don't have much going on up top. So, I mean, I guess if I have to choose between the two, I would probably go age. Um, Unless it was something just crazy, you know, mm-hmm. like if I see like a, a three-year-old that clearly has awesome potential, you know, I'm going to let that deer pass. Um, and that's, that's really just because I think that's where I'm in, like added my hunting journey, you know, uh, some people, I think, you know, if you're a part of a 5,000 acre club and you got, you know, however many members and you've all decided we're going to shoot five-year-olds only, you know, 140 inches only. And that's kind of the, the, the tone that you set. I get it. But like in our world, um, you know, we just, we just want to have a fun chase. We want to have an exciting adventure where the heart's thumping and we're excited. 
And so if another person shoots that three and a half year old that probably had amazing potential, um, I'm really, as long as they do it legally and they, they do everything right. I'm excited. If they're excited and it fires them up, I'm fired up about it. I don't ever dear shame. Like I'm just, uh, we're, we're about the chase, you know? Yeah. No, I yeah. Hear you. Makes sense. What, you, what about you, Cheeto? You same yeah, way? I'm the, I mean, I've never, you know, a lot of people know my story, but I've never really, I've never really killed a big deer in my life. Uh, the biggest deer I killed was last year and <clears throat> the biggest buck. And he was probably 110. And, you know, he was a big body deer, but, you know, I just have so long, I just never killed a big deer. So my goal was, you know, I'm just going to wait till that showstopper comes since I've never really killed a showstopper before. You know, I always killed several doe throughout the year because me and my family love the meat and that's pretty much all we eat is deer meat. And so, you know, that was my goal was like, you know, I'm just going to wait until I just find a big deer. And so to me, the the coolest, some of the coolest deer that I've ever, you know, chased is like crazy looking ones. Like uh, BJ had the opportunity to hunt a deer that we named Groot last year. Um, and he was just like a mainframe. What was he like? Mainframe eight on one side. And then he just had some just gnarly, like tree trunk looking. He looked like Groot pretty much like on one side. <laughs> And no telling how many points it was. Uh, but anyways, he he ended up getting killed by another guy. But uh, but that kind of deer is like my, like I get fired up about some crazy looking, gnarly looking deer. Um, and really my dream, BJ, BJ is always like, Cheeto's talking about is like dream deer. And Chubbs is literally like, I've told, and you can, I told BJ, you can ask my cousin, my, a guy I've hunted with my whole life. My dream deer has always been a mainframe eight, just like tall, huge tines. And like, that's literally chubs. And so BJ's kind of like, oh, he says it's his dream deer. (laughs) (laughs) But honestly, that is one that has been just one of, that's the one that I've always chased is like, or looked for, um, seeked after is that just crazy tall time deer. So that one, that's the dream for sure. So, or you're just saying that's your dream deer. So he'll feel bad and won't slide in your spot. When you- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. if one of us, honestly, if one of us get this deer, I'm going to be so excited. Cause honestly, he's just the spot we have. It's just really hard. And so if we get this deer down and it's not somebody else, if I can go and hang out with chubs on the wall, I'll be excited. He'll, yeah. look, he'll look great next to high hopes. <laughs> next year, you guys will get like a mainframe 12 with uh, double drops, and he'll be like, this is my dream deer, dude. Oh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> if, if I say that, then then you'll know I was lying. Oh, <laughs> uh, That's awesome. Yeah, so the suburban stuff is so interesting to me, but I got I to gotta touch on this for a minute because I've heard you guys said it several times, the clubs what is up with the clubs in the South? Like we don't have hunting clubs. Like we have leases. People are very um, unwilling to share permission. Like if you got one or two people on a lease, they're like, we're good. Like we don't need any more other people. Like, So, yeah. So Alabama is made up of a lot of really big timber companies. Alabama is a big timber state. You know, we're a big pine. We grow a lot of pine here in Alabama. So there's a lot of <laughs> these tracks are owned by big conglomeration timber companies. So, what people do is go in and do leases and 
they get a big, you know, 2,500 acre track or whatever, and it's X amount of dollars. And so to cover those expenses, they'll go get 10, 15 other buddies, put campers on it or whatever. And then they form like a hunting club and they create their own rules and do whatever. And then they just usually deer hunt, turkey hunt it, you know, mostly. So that's, that's a bunch of the state. A bunch of the state is made up that way. We have very little public land in Alabama. Um, mm-hmm. There's some, and there's some good. I don't know if you've ever heard of Michael Perry. Michael Perry's like a local legend. He's killed. He killed a state record muzzleloader last year or year before last on public land. It, is that the land. one where he took a picture with the sign, like with the? He has the buck, and then it's like right next to the. It says da 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 WMA. Yeah, yeah I bet yeah. everybody that hunts there is like, come on, man. Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> yeah. To be honest with you, there's just not many options. Uh-huh. Uh I mean, there's you know. And so, and everybody knows him, so they know where he goes, but he's, I've talked to him a few times. He goes, he's a five mile in guy, five mile out. So you're not going to find where he is and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I probably brought a lot of, a lot of people go in that area now looking, but, uh, so either you're going to grind it out on the public land. I mean, and I mean, grind, I mean, it's, um, it is not easy and the rules are different on public land. You can't sell a camera. You can't bait. You know, there's just all different kind of scenarios. It's just different, and it makes it very, very difficult. Um, so you're either going to get in the clubs or you're going to be on the public land or you're going to do like we do. And, I mean, we're a hybrid private land deal where we, you know, get little small tracks together and kind of combine them. And and then we do have some big tracks too because, uh, like I said, a lot of Birmingham's still really undeveloped. So mm-hmm. um, if we've made those relationships, sometimes we'll get hunting permission on some bigger tracks. But, um, yeah, so that the club deal, that's just, that's the, like, less, I would say, I mean, what would you say the percentage of hunters in Alabama are in the clubs? Like 80%? Probably 80% because even, you know, your clubs are normally big, huge five, 10,000 acre properties. And depending on how big the property is, says how many hunters, you know, cause you could probably have 25 to 30 different families on any given club, um, you know, whether they have five kids or three or seven. And so anybody, you know, they, they all take hunting, you know? And so it's like, that's why it like it's difficult. Cause then you got to get there the right time. You got to put the pins out where, where you're going, where your family's going. And, and it's just, and it's expensive too. I mean, people buy trailers and then they, you know, I mean, it's just a lot of, a lot of work and it's a lot of time from your family if your wife is, you know, more of a girly girl than she is going out and staying in a trailer for a weekend at a time and all during wintertime. So it's uh, it's not as great as it's made out to be. Alabama's changed a lot, too. Like, I grew up in the 80s, and so when I was a kid, my dad would take me hunting. hunting. We were in a, a dog club, and basically what that was, it was like 50 guys, you know, all in one club, and they would – throw you all in the back of pickup trucks and drop, drop a group off every 200 yards. And then they'd cut the dogs loose and the dogs would run the deer past the group, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of that either got banned or outlawed and they you know, just because it's just, it's not great for the deer herd to run deer all over the place with dogs. Um, and that's when people started getting more into the clubs and, and that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's like the first club I got into was like 600 acres. I think there were six members you have like a sign out board, you go in and say, okay, I want Greenfield four, you know, and you'd be sitting in that box on that Greenfield and that was your spot, 
you know it's not like yeah. you weren't scouting the oak trees and finding the trails and the pinch points and looking at thermals i mean it was just i think the wind's okay for field four let's go there <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, or or it's the last one left everybody's already in their stand i was gonna yeah. go for <laughs> yeah and what yeah. was funny though is about being in a club like growing up my uncle's like now nah, we always had fun it was a good time because oh yeah you know, bonfires cooking food i mean it was always fun but the the funny thing was like the challenge was was to always be the person that like said you know i'll i'll just choose last like y'all y'all do pick whatever because normally if you're that guy that's like you know i'll pick last you normally end up killing the big buck <laughs> like so being that guy is like no hey I, i'm gonna choose last y'all just go wherever you want and then i'll just I'll pick last. That was the guy that always killed the big buck. So. That would kind of be like a little bit of tension at times, especially if you get in, get in with a group of guys that really don't give a dang about everybody else. And they're just kind of in it for themselves. I uh, think a good way to rule that out would be to take everybody shed hunting because you can really point out those guys. If you go in a big group to shed hunt, because they're always walking faster than the other person or cutting across cutting you off. Yeah. We have a, we have a guy he's, I guess we could call him a friend, but uh, we went and uh, shed hunted this piece of public and we dropped them off probably, I don't know, four or 600 yards away. And then we drove down the road a bit and we were walking and we all were walking the same direction. Supposedly, in a straight line. In a straight line. <laughs> and somehow, some way, he ended up in front of us and coming back towards us. And, and he was just like, yeah, we already walked all that over there. And it's like, no, you didn't. <laughs> when he when he popped over the when he popped over the ridge, he's holding like a sixty five inch shed, and we're like, dude, I was walking right over there, and he's like, oh, I found this one, <laughs> okay, found this forty yards that way, and she's like, oh, really? But yeah, the, have funny. you ever seen any big deer killed on uh, with dogs? Uh, you know, I mean, that was more of a if it's brown, it's down kind of game back then. You know, yeah. uh -huh. it was buckshot and. Just shoot them. <laughs> yeah, they were. It, it was. It was exciting and it was a lot of fun. But no, but there was a guy in our club that killed like a twelve point. But I mean, and at that time it was just. I mean, everybody gathered around that deer and just they were smoking their cigarettes and drinking Budweiser, whatever, looking at it, just like in awe of this twelve point. You know, I look back at pictures of it now. It's just just a basket rack. You know, <laughs> twelve points. You know. And, uh, but yeah, that was the, the there was, there, there not, not in our experience and that, but, uh, I'm sure there's some people that killed some big deer that way. But as a kid sitting with your dad, listening to those dogs baying, you know, and hearing them get closer and closer and closer and all of a sudden the deer come piling out mm -hmm. and I'd have a 410 with a slug and he had a 12 gauge with buckshot. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, it couldn't, it could have, it was, I mean, it was a blast, but, and it, you know, it built the love of hunting in me. So, and, you know, so it, and when you get back to the, just the actual pursuit of deer, just, uh, you remember what that felt like, you know, shooting, uh, just, a, just having a deer harvest and just the celebration and hunters coming together and just kind of being excited for each other. And, you know, the whole social media thing kind of changes everything a little bit. And, you know, everybody kind of wants to jump in the comments and man, that, that one could have used another year. Or, Why'd you mm -hmm. shoot that one? And, you know, like yeah, everybody's got their own, you know, ideas of what's best for the deer herd and management and, you know, but we're not the lawmakers and we don't decide that we're going to follow the law. And we're going to do that. But, you know, I just, I'm a firm believer in celebrating with another hunter. If he's excited about it, I don't care about the rest of it. You know, I, li I like that 
I, I feel like everybody could take something away from hunting that way for the first 10 years of your life, you know, instead of going on a, you see kids now, like a lot of these kids in the Midwest shoot 160 inch deer for their first year. I'm like, you little sucker, but <laughs> I mean, that's cool, but it really instills that love in it. When you do have to go kind of do it that way. And your expectations aren't through the absolute ceiling. You're like, I just want to see a deer. I just want to shoot a deer, watch somebody get a deer. And the social media aspect of it's really, really funny. Uh, Jake, we posted a TikTok video the other day and it was, a uh, Jake said, never pass the biggest buck of your life. That was like the first line of it. And somebody, somebody commented and said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's fine. That's just, that's just how people are on social media. And I feel like hunting that way, how a lot of people hunt in the South, it's like they get a really good deep appreciation for like actually hunting and celebrating other folks. Yeah, we got a lot of haters though too, man. Don't let it fool you. <laughs> everybody down here, I don't know how it is up there, but everybody down here hunts. Everybody mm-hmm. down here grew, grew up doing it, and you know, they're everybody's an expert, you know, and uh, so the and a lot of people like to voice their opinions on it. And so when you decide like us to kind of put yourselves out there on social media and it throws a bigger microscope on kind of what you're doing, and you know. It, it can be tough at times, you know, because it's not like you really care, but at the same time you can get, you know, 50 really awesome comments, people being encouraging and you get that one. It's just like what you're saying. Like, can't believe you did that. And it's just like, man, that sticks out in your head. Yeah. And then it actually it can start to like plant a seed. And then the next time you're, you know, chasing a deer, having a situation, you're like, mm-hmm. start thinking about that one idiot that made that comment. And then it's just like, it can kind of sh- destroy your moment. When, uh, so it's just, you just water off a duck's back, you know, it's yeah. like, this is what we do. This is what we love. This is what we're passionate about. And we have a bigger purpose than just this likes and posts and stuff like that. And we just, we want to light up the right scoreboard, you know, and we're talking about it earlier, man. Cheeto, it's like, you know, high hopes is, is, is it a life, a deer of a lifetime, you know, and I'm so thankful for it, but. I got him down off the wall to take him to the deer show here in Birmingham a few months ago. It's the first time I've actually touched the mount in <laughs> like two years and it gets dust and cobwebs just like everything else, you know? And at the end of the day, what does it really, you know, does it, does that mount mean anything? I mean, not, I mean, it's awesome and I love it. I'm so thankful for it, but there, I'm not going to find myself at the end of life being like, Hey guys, bring in all these deer mounts and surround me, you know, with all the deer horns that I killed and let's, let's admire it. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to say, where's my family and my friends and my loved ones and people I impacted and the relationships we have. That's the kind of thing that matters, you know? So it's just, uh, it's just, you know, pursuing the right thing, you know? Yeah. But a deer like that, I would be like, uh, Jimmy move over, put that thing right on the foot of the bed. <laughs> that's what I would do. But <laughs> no, no, yeah, I cool. get it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's awesome, man. It is, and I've actually I've got a friend right now that's chasing after two deer that are potential two hundreds, both of them, give or take a, a, a few monsters. Two different states, and got them consistently on camera and all that. And we were having this long conversation the other day. I mean, it's consuming the thoughts. You know, it can get overwhelming and just like literally every waking moment is checking the game cameras, thinking about what the deer is doing, wondering if it's still around. And, you know, I was just encouraging like, man, you got to just enjoy the process. 
like enjoy the ride. I mean, yeah, we all want to culminate at the end of the day with the picture behind the rack, holding up with a big smile on our face, but not everybody gets the opportunity just to even be in the game at that mm-hmm. level or even any level, you know, just for that, the heart pumping, checking the camera, getting excited and all that stuff. And, you know, so if you're just, if you're looking past and you're mm-hmm. just thinking about the kill and you're obsessed with that and you, you miss all the good stuff in between. And, I don't know if that makes sense. I might yeah. just on No, this. you can you can I get the little uh dirty little devil on my shoulder sometimes. Like we probably got a close to a 160 on the lease and heck, I'm glad you said that cuz I'm still considering kicking one of my buddies off so he can't hunt him. <laughs> um, but <laughs> No, but yeah. deer make you do really weird things and like you got to keep first things first like you guys are talking about. I know you guys have I've seen a lot of your content like talking about the gospel and they keeping that first and like that is the number one thing. Deer hunting is just it's a vehicle we get to enjoy God more. That's what it is. And if you make it anything else than that, it just starts to get not very fun. Um, I've seen more relationships ruined, uh, more like families. I mean, people just literally torn apart over a deer. And I mean, Mm -hmm. we love it. I mean, we're, we're obviously we're passionate about it and it's one of our favorite things, but you start losing relationships with human beings over a deer then it's like, you know, you just got to put it in perspective. You know, it's yeah. good to enjoy. It's good to be passionate about. It's good to chase, but it's it, it's not a very good God, you know? No. Yeah. And, and that's exactly, you know, like what you're saying, us putting God first is honestly, when BJ and I started talking about really getting into it and really just, you know, doing this a lot, uh, you know, our focus was, you know, on the side, like we have full-time jobs. We both have families. We both have kids. We have everything going on. I'm not to mention full-time jobs. I think I have like three or four, uh, (laughs) I really can't keep up with how many I have, but, uh, but with everything going on, like I've always had a ministry thing that I've always done. And, and the suburban bow hunting thing is our ministry. It's our way that we can connect people to Christ through the outdoors. And if we can get men connected to their local church, then we win. Like that's, that's our goal in winning, whether we kill a 110 inch deer or 199 inch deer, you know, it's like our goal is to connect men to Christ through the outdoors. And and when we do that, we win. And so when, when we hear these comments and like people say, man, you really helped me like, you know, get in my quiet times or spend more time with the Lord, then, then that's, that's where we're winning. And so that's our focus is that how can we, how can we have more episodes? How can we do this more so that we can, present the gospel in a different way rather than just being like, Hey, go get into church. You know, like mm-hmm. so many people hear that all the time. Like you go to hell if you don't go to church. Well, no, no, you just need a relationship with Jesus. So, so yeah. it's just like, that's our calling. So. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story with high hopes. Like, um, so when, when he, when he was showing up on camera all the time, um, I had him really consistent. They disappeared. And he, from, from my spots and I had permission to put a camera across the property line, but I wasn't allowed to hunt and that he kept showing up on that other camera that was across the property line. And it wasn't very far across the property line, 50 yards, maybe. And I became obsessed with this deer. And I remember I convinced myself in my mind, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going across the property line. And I'm going to shoot that deer. And I'm going to drag him over and nobody's going to, it's just going to be me. And the secret's going to be sealed up forever. And I started to just, I was literally, I was going to sleep 
and that was the plan for the morning hunt. And I, and I, my wife was next to me. She was already asleep. And I just, I, I was feeling guilty because I knew it was wrong. But at the same time, I was like kind of convinced I was going to do it. And I woke up my wife and I was like, Hey, Hey, listen, I'm going to, uh, just letting you know, I'm, I'm going across the property line tomorrow to shoot high hopes, but it's not a big deal. It's only like 50 yards. Nobody's going to know. And she groggily kind of like woke up and she rolled over and she looked at me and she was like, you're going to compromise everything you stand for to go kill twinkle toes at 12 point <laughs> <laughs> rolled over and went back, went back to sleep. And that hit me hard, hit me real hard and didn't, you know, ended up not doing that. And, made the right choice and God literally brought that deer out 12 yards broadside. And I didn't know how big he was really. I knew he was huge. I knew he was big, but I didn't realize he was like state record level, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, when all that happened and all that came down and just in the state of Alabama, a deer like that gets a lot of attention, you know, and this huge spotlight comes down on the whole situation. And I mean, it gets analyzed from, you know, where he was, the angle. I mean, just every detail gets analyzed on that deer. And if I had done that, if I had made that decision to compromise just that little bit, um, it, I, it would have been exposed, reputation ruined. I wouldn't be on a podcast with you guys talking about the Lord, talking about deer hunting. I mean, I'd be living in shame, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we did just, have Charles Beatty on the podcast. So, I mean, <laughs> oh God. Is, that, is that the Prince of Poachers? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that guy's got some stories, boy. That's yeah. Awesome. yeah. But anyway, yeah. So decided not to do that. And I think it was a good decision. I've been using the new Exodus rival cell camera for the last couple months. And I have found a beautiful mainframe eight point with tons of stickers to go after this fall. Ooh. One thing I do appreciate about Exodus trail cameras is all of the cameras share the same data plan, so you only pay for what you need. A lot of cell cam companies charge you for HD pictures. I've seen prices of $5 for 50 HD pics. Exodus is gonna give you unlimited HD pictures right to your phone, which is awesome when you're sitting there in the middle of the summer and it's 100 degrees and you just wanna binge a bunch of trail cam photos. If you're looking for a solid cell camera with great performance and a five-year no BS warranty, go check them out. So as we all know, hunting gear is something people can make way too complicated. Arrows can be the exact same way. Instead of going down all those rabbit holes, trying to sift through the endless information that's online, and you're not really sure if it's right or wrong, Exodus makes it simple to get the right arrow for your exact setup. So go online to the Exodus Arrow Builder. It takes less than a minute. You're going to enter your draw weight, your draw length, and how heavy of a point you're shooting. And it's going to be that simple. Let the guys at Exodus take care of the rest. So if you're interested in Exodus Rival cell cameras or a new set of their MMT arrows, just go to exodusoutdoorgear.com and use code HA15 for 15% off anything on the website. Once again, that is exodusoutdoorgear.com. Use code HA15 at checkout for 15% off. Now let's get back to the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> well, you guys, you guys be praying for my friend Peyton. I don't, you might've influenced me to keep him on the lease, but he may, he may not make it. Um. <laughs> hey, that's kind of the same predicament uh, that you're in that they were telling us earlier about the spots. What do you no, mean? Yeah. Oh, being yeah, like between me and Peyton. Mm-hmm. In what way? I think since we heard your story, you got to tell him yours and Peyton's about how you brought him onto the lease, and then the first really good buck that comes on because like that's kind of 
a toss up now because y'all are passing Mister next year, and and maybe. so like it's kind of maybe. See, that's what I mean. It's kind of on a lease. He's between... getting shot. No, I'm, just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, we we basically have had a lease for I've had a lease for this the third year and. Peyton was, I brought him on the last year and he shot like a real nice six and a half year old buck, probably 130 inch buck. And we've got, this is the, I've had it for three years. This is the first year that we've had what I would consider like a mega, like a 160 plus. And, um, I shot first last year and now I'm like, well, I've been on the lease longer. You know, you should let me shoot the big one first. And Peyton's like, well, it's really simple to me. You shot first last year. I'll shoot first this year. And I'm like, (laughs) it's not that simple though. And but he's he's very matter of fact about it, and we we agreed. I'm like, that's the right thing to do is for you to shoot first, even though selfishly, I want to sit back and like I want to shoot that deer. But yeah, that's just a, it's a situation like that, you know. What, how big is the, the lease? 110 acres. Okay, yeah. not huge. Like yeah. one or two stand locations. Like it hunts small too. It hunts small too. Like we've hunted it three times in the last three years, and every morning we've we've shot a buck every time we've hunted it. Oh wow! So like that buck's. It's probably good. It could happen. So, but like you said, it brings out those weird emotions. You're like, I want to shoot a buck. I want to shoot a buck that big. And it's just like, well, no, it's not going to happen. You know? So yeah, that's just, that's a situation that we're in. I feel like a lot of people get in that situation though with friends and that's just part of it. You know, you want to split the cost. You want to have buddies on your lease. Like sometimes one guy's going to shoot the big one. Some guy, sometimes one guy does, doesn't. Yeah. Dude, that's crazy. I actually just met a guy. We were at the, Buckmaster's show down in Montgomery. And uh, I kind of, so I work for this for Lee and Drew and them. I kind of help them with, you know, some things in the background and uh, on the seek one side. And so I, uh, I was, I run like the booths for the shows and stuff too. And so we, we talked to this guy and this, this guy has a, a huge, I think it's like 172 acre lease in Ohio. And it's like a, it's like a, there's, I think they, he said, uh, roasted soybeans and there's a, another big, huge ag field, like right next to it. And like, just bukus of deer. Like he said, there's 10 or 15, 160 inch deer. Just oh my God. <laughs> and he said, it's just covered, but it's his wife's family's property. And the, the dad, uh, just would, the father-in-law would let anybody hunt it. Like anybody that come up and said, Hey, can I, where's yes, it at? Whatever you want. But the, the, he, when he got married to her, he was like, I'm kind of big in the hunting. And so his father-in-law gave it to him and said, Hey, you run it, you hunt it, whoever you want to hunt it can, it's yours. So he kind of like kicked everyone out and just been like maintaining it. But he's in the, uh, I think he's in the air force. And he's like, guys, honestly, I'm not hunting it this year. So if y'all want to go up to Ohio and smoke, a, you know, a couple of deer, y'all are welcome to. And I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> like reluctantly, I'm in. But thank you. So I got fired up when I heard like he was just like, man, I've just kind of not let anybody hunt it for a while, but I'm not going to be able to hunt it till next year anyway. So y'all are welcome to go shoot a deer. He was like, there's plenty of deer, and I was like. Okay, I'm in. <laughs> so yeah, heading up there. <laughs> but see, when yeah. when any when anybody ever says that they got 160s running around all over the place, I'm always like, no, you don't. Skeptic. Yeah. Let's see a picture. Yes, yeah, <laughs> he shows pictures. He. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> he I'll, I'll, I'll send you the picture. <laughs> 
Cheeto had another guy that was like, yeah, I got 150 inch deer all over the place and up, up by Nashville. We're doing the velvet hunt this year. And, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> so we get all excited. When are you releasing this podcast? (laughs) It'll probably be three, four weeks. Okay. He sends us. He sends us the pictures, and they're all you know, (laughs) nineties. Like one nineties or (laughs) no, no, there's no one. Uh, It was not. It was not great, but it it was like seven weeks ago. So (laughs) hopefully they're they're like, hopefully they're one thirties by now, which is. I'm okay with a 130 velvet deer. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah. I was gonna say, an out of state, especially like a piece of private and stuff. Oh, you betcha. I'd yeah, still take them up gonna, on it. It's gonna be pretty fun. I'm I'm excited. So, um, I did want to get into some of the suburban stuff. Like, what well, you guys have obviously hunted hunt clubs and you've hunted bigger tracks of private. You know, growing up. What's kind of the the biggest differences or some of the, like the different challenges that you go through trying to hunt like strictly suburban? Um, well, I think I kind of hunt more strictly suburban than BJ. I've had some places where I've had kids run underneath my stand, like oh my gosh, seven or eight kids, big group of kids running through the woods, <laughs> That's so awesome. playing power rangers you know just (laughs) once happened to me before and uh and what what it is is like and that that property was like a 10 acre and literally in between a neighborhood that a a developer owned that wasn't going to develop it so we kind of got access to it and we were out there hunting and really it's there's no trespassing signs all over it for reasons such as that and uh you know it is bow hunting so you're not you know we we're, as hunters, we know the difference in a person and a deer. And so just sitting there watching him for a little while, just play and have fun. And literally one got right underneath me. And I was like, I think it's time to mess with him. So, so the, the hunt became like this really funny, like talk to them, like, Hey, get out of here. And like, <laughs> you just kind of see him like freak out. And they were like, where's that going from? And I was like, you were trespassing. Get <laughs> off of the property, and they were like, "God." <laughs> so, <laughs> it, was like a, it was a funny story, but like things like that, you know, like places I hunt. Yeah, yeah, there's like dogs barking, people blowing off their driveways, cutting grass. I mean, like it's all sorts of things that you hear, and you hear people yelling at people, arguments. <laughs> it's always something. So that's a different thing. It's not as quiet you know you have your road noises sometimes if you're close to an interstate it's super loud so you can't like can't hear very well deer coming or anything like that so so that those things kind of make it different with you just you hear a lot more stuff than just peace and serenity (laughs) poachers poachers are the biggest problem i think in the suburbs they are Uh, Uh, i would not expect that why is that I mean, people just feel like they can, you know, a lot of the spots that I hunt are, are you know, the bigger undeveloped tracks around this, the neighborhoods and stuff. And so people just go out of their backyards and just go get in a stand or, you know, they, they give me, oh, I've been hunting here 50 years, you know, kind of deal. Like, well, you've been poaching for 50 years. And so mm-hmm. now somebody here legally, then it, it's kind of ruffles their feathers. Um and so, and just, 
you know, a lot of it too, honestly, we kind of shoot ourselves in the foot. You know, I mean, we we're out there putting it on social media, you know, with pictures of deer and some people, they get it in their head and they see those pictures and they think, I just got, I just got to go in there and kill that deer. And so you just, you get, you get all kind of stuff, but that's, that's the biggest problem. I think like the people walking around and stuff like that, that's, <laughs> that's more like a funny story. Mm-hmm. Um, trespassers. Yeah. Just trespassers in general, people joyriding or, and stuff like that is will mess you up. Yeah. Uh, and people like go out there and they're shooting, trying to shoot these bucks or attempting to with like archery equipment too. No. Well, no, we had like, a, shoot guns. Yeah, we had really. A, we had one time. We have a, a like a sixty-acre block that's literally in the middle of a really big suburban area, and um, had a guy that hunts with me call and say, "Hey, man, they're shooting guns down here." And we called the the p- local police department. They sent out the SWAT team, the game warden, and caught six guys. You know, using firearms. They were doing a little man drive, and they were pushing deer around and just wearing them out, and. Um, they actually had them like handcuffed and stuff on the side of the interstate and the news pulls up and all this mess. And it was, it was a big, it was a big deal. So. That's wild. I I was listening to a uh, podcast from, uh, Oh, what was it? Wired to hunt Mark, Mark Kent. Is that his name? Mark Kent. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think he tried out the, the suburban hunting as well. I, I don't know where he did it at, but he said, uh, when you're out there, you kind of have to watch out for if you do shoot a deer, you know, you want to put a nice, clean, ethical shot on them, obviously, no matter where you're at, but, but especially in those situations, because you might have permission to one piece, but if you're in a state that doesn't allow you to go get your deer over property lines, then that can be a big issue. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, is, it definitely is for us, uh, me more than, bj but there's some of bj's spots too that could easily go on to another property but what we do is you know before crossing that property line it's like hey follow the trail if it does go on somebody else's property you just immediately go knock on their door call the owner whatever and say hey i've shot a you know i'm a bow hunter i have access to this property i shot a deer and the deer ran onto your property and i need to retrieve it um, and 98% of the time they're like, Oh yeah, please, please get it. That's, that's great. Um, and sometimes you'll have people like that freak out and they're like, you, you can't be hunting here. This is illegal. And absolutely freak out, call the police. I'm like, well, you, you know, you can call the police. It's everything's legal. Everything's ethical. And I just really want to retrieve the deer. So sometimes it turns into a crazy ordeal, but most of the time people are really cool about it and they're like, yeah, just go ahead and grab it. And we got a good relationship with the game warden in our area. Mm. And so if there's a re- retrieval issue, I just we just call him, and if the game warden go get them no matter what. So if somebody's giving you a hard time, you you can get the deer. Okay, so, well that's good. That's good. yeah. I did. So the game warden they have permission to go like get a game regardless. Yep. Oh, that's really really nice. Oh. <laughs> that is a big deal. I mean. I don't know. It's one thing to like film your hunts and put it on social media when you're hunting remote pieces or, you know, hundred thousand acre pieces of private ground. But with you hunting like woodlots and in between suburban neighborhoods and all this stuff, I've, how do you guys balance that? Because I feel like, you know, a lot of these suburban bucks, people see them in their yards. They see them walking around on the golf course or in the open. And it's like, I feel like it'd be super easy to identify a buck like that and be like, Oh, I know exactly where that is. Yeah. A lot of times they do. I mean, sometimes, you know, like the one, the one Cheetos on, I mean, somebody, 
sent me an Instagram message and told me, Hey, I just saw a giant deer and they left me a pin, you know, in the area. And that's how we found it. So mm-hmm. that happens, but, <clears throat> and there's actually, you know, it's just different. Like Birmingham is a little bit different. Like there's just not the, the big deer are going to be tucked away a little more than they would be like in a, Atlanta or somewhere like that, where there's so many people, they can't move around without being seen. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't get a lot of that. It's not near as bad, but like the, the big one that I shot, I mean, there was, after I shot him, there was a handful of people that had like a video of him standing at the edge of a field or a trail camera picture of him. Um, and it was kind of cool to put the history pieces together, you know, cause I, then I, after I shot him and I kind of got all that together, I, I got pictures of him all the way back from when he was like a two and a half year old and where he was and how he lay and how he like moved around. Like he made a five mile radius around this big area. And uh, it was kind of cool to get the history of how he migrated into where he finally got killed, you know? yeah that stuff's that's really cool i mean i only have one experience suburban hunting and it sounds like you guys are it's kind of a blend like it's it is suburban but there's like way places you can get away and bigger woodlots like if somebody can shoot guns then it's not like what you would think with like a sequin video or atlanta yeah those are not the same thing if somebody can (laughs) shoot a gun but i had one suburban experience like we have a jake works at the lake and like we have these lake deer and like they're in these little coves pockets you know like just up by the lake and i had a guy that he was he had like a few dozen does uh and he was like come shoot some of these does like they're always laying in my yard like there's too many of them it's like all right cool i'll do that we went over and we had issues like finding shots that weren't like at somebody's garage or like shooting at their porch or something like that yeah and like there was one time i drew back and a a deer was standing like 40 yards uh, next to someone's driveway. And I was like, if they open the front door, like I'm going to stick this dude in the leg. And so I was like, <laughs> all right, I'm not going to shoot. And so the guy who like ran the neighborhood, I was like, we haven't been getting a clear shot. You know, like I don't want to shoot at somebody's house. He's like, Oh no problem. I'll get him over here. I was like, what do you mean you get him over here? He walks in with a, like a one gallon bucket, scoops some corn in his garage and starts shaking it back and forth. He's like, they'll come. He goes, come here, come here. And they all stand up and they start walking towards him. I was like, I think it's time to go guys. And we just got <laughs> the truck and left. So you guys aren't doing that kind of suburban hunting. Is what you're yeah. Negative. <laughs> okay. No, that, you I can't even get deer to do that around here. It's like, it's suburban. Like I'll just kind of explain a place that I'm at. So say that, you know, you're top of a ridge and there's like neighborhood and they have, like a hill in the back and then their their lots like an acre to an acre and a half and then all these other houses have the same deal and there's this strip of woods where there's nothing and all these deer it's like a funnel for them and so these deer are running these funnels and so i have a spot that i've had for four years uh now and I've had a 10, he's been a 10 point for three of those. And so I don't know what he, I haven't even put a camera out yet at it this season, but he was alive at the end of last year. So I've never hunted that spot, but, but that's just kind of an area where you can kind of wrap your mind around like the suburban side of it. And the houses are so far away from each other. You're not, you're in the back and you're kind of, you know, we're elevated, we're shooting down in the woods. So we're not, we're not actually like in front yards or anything like that. Like we're hidden where people don't see that we're hunting or really hear that we're hunting. So the only thing that they would ever know is if the deer, you know, folds up underneath somebody's swing set, which has happened. 
uh, before. So I had to pull I, it. Honestly, I wouldn't. If they're ever the deer in Alabama, at least the ones I've been around, are never going to be domesticated enough to do with like what you're talking about, mm-hmm. uh, because everybody hunts in Alabama. Everybody has a brother, an uncle, or somebody that hunts. So you're not going to have like a a big neighborhood where like there's no pressure and they get really domesticated. Like you see videos on TikTok or Instagram or you know, 25 deer come up right up in the garage and they're just hand feeding them corn and stuff like that. Um, but even if they did, then I probably wouldn't, it, I don't care if the deer was 250 inches. I'm probably not going to shoot that deer. <laughs> you know, I, like don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, I might, because the other day, uh, I was driving around kind of towards the back of there and there's this old guy that, uh, he, he does exactly what Christian was saying. He, he always, uh, brings like a five gallon bucket out and he shakes it and they all come running and he just kind of throws them out there and those all be eating in his yard for, for the next two hours. And, uh, the other day I drove by his, his yard and he wasn't, he wasn't home. These are all lake houses that people only visit when, you know, the fourth Memorial day, stuff like that. And, uh, there's a big bachelor group of bucks, like probably seven of them. And the smallest one, was probably like maybe 115 but the biggest was like probably 130s and i was like if i was that dude he's in a he's in a pretty good part of this little gated community where if you shot one and put a good shot on it no one's finding out but that's kind of the the thing around there like they're so domesticated they're best they're basically pets so i don't know if it especially if it was a 250 i would i have no shame <laughs> I mean, hey, it depends on the situation, man, for sure. <laughs> didn't your didn't your brother send you a pic, uh, video one, Jake, like of a, it drinking out of a water cup that he was holding? So that was that was a little outside of that, and I I honestly think that one was a little bit more uh, more free range, but I think he was just rutted up and he didn't know what was going on. Imagine rutting so hard that like a dude has a Dasani bottle with the the top cut off and you're like, I'll do it. It's worth a shot. (laughs) He did it. Yeah. I think, but I, I legitimately think there's a lot of people that watch videos, watch your videos, watch seek one's videos. And they're like, Oh, those are the kind of deer you're hunting. And I'm like, there's no way they wouldn't even have to be in a tree stand. If they were hunting that way, they just walk up and pop one and drag it home. Yeah, seriously. Mm -hmm. No, it's, it's extremely challenging. I mean, like, there's something about a deer and like a lot of the stuff I'm, I'm not in a back, I'm not a backyard guy as much, you know, most of my stuff's bigger acreage so they can spread out move around a little bit more. But, um, I mean, even the deer that I've been around that are in the neighborhoods, there's just, there's something in their instinct that kicks in when they know if you're just like a guy walking his dog down the street or if you're actually in a pursuit of that deer. And I don't know, I have this weird theory. Like, have you ever, have y'all ever tracked a deer with a dog before? Like, yeah, it's wounded. So, yep. like, typically the dogs don't smell the blood. They're smelling like a pheromone that's released from the hoof that goes into the ground, right? So it's like a and some kind of when they're injured, the deer release a pheromone, and the dogs have such a sense of smell they can smell that pheromone. And I, I, I believe like there's something that that happens in a human when we turn into a hunter and a predator that we're actually in a pursuit that the deer pick up on it. I don't know if it's something in our scent or our glands or what. And that's not scientific at all. It's just kind of my own personal <laughs> Pro science. Yeah, it's just, yeah. I, I believe that. I definitely believe that. If you could, if you could smell like I, it's something insane. I don't know if it's a hundred times or 200 times or 2000 times better than we can. There's something to that. 
because if they can smell that scent out of yeah. like a interdigital gland or whatever it is in between their hooves, like yeah, there we have to put off so many different odors that we don't even we can't even smell. That's They're right. so minute. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, so I, you know, I don't know. I mean, there's there's something that that this it, whatever it is, there's an instinct that kicks into the deer that they just go into survival, and you know they're not they're not just walking up to where we can pet them. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Like a lot of, you know, the suburb areas that I go into, like if I'm going in to, you know, throw some feet out, I'll see a lot of deer because a lot of these places are overrun and I, I can walk past them. And if I continue to walk, they'll just watch me. Okay. But it's the second I turn and look at them and like stop and like actually start paying attention to them. They turn into a different animal. Cause if I don't look at them, I just keep walking They'll be fine with me. They just, they won't care. I'm just a normal person. Even when I'm going in hunting, like if I'm carrying my bow and my camo, I just, if I act normal, they'll, they're, they're fine. But the second I turn and look at them and start seeing what's over there, then they instinctively, they're like, this guy's checking me out. I'm, I'm done. I'm out of here. So I think I kind of agree with BJ, even though it's kind of out there, <laughs> but I kind of agree with him. I think they do have some kind of sense of like, Hey, this guy is out to kill me. And a lot of it too, is just how mature the animal is like, like young bucks and those you, they'll hang around. They're easier. I mean, there's just, that's just the way it is in every situation, but a mature buck, he didn't get old by being stupid. And, you know, it's like when they legalized baiting in the state of Alabama, it was like 2019. Oh, that was a little, yeah, yeah, it was pretty recent. So I was like all against it. I mean, just all the negative connotations you hear about baiting. I was like, man, it's it's gonna ruin the game. You know, you can't, you know, follow the oaks and you know the, the trails and the pinch points, and like it's gonna take away some strategy of it. But what I learned, the reality of it was, it changed the strategy. What what I thought bait was gonna be like the magic bullet, mm-hmm. it actually turned out to be more of a strategy play around the bait. Because like a mature deer, he knows where his bait is. He knows where his food is. And they're going to go feed at the safest time, which is typically the middle of the night. And so like as soon as the velvet comes off, everything changes and the the patterns change. And so a mature deer, he knows, okay, this is where that guy's been coming in and out every time. I'm going to bed this way. This is where my food source typically is. And, you know, normally a deer is like a forage animal, right? So they just kind of go through the woods picking acorns. They find a tree and they know that tree's hot and they usually go hit that tree until the acorns are kind of cleaned up. And you're putting corn or whatever it is down the same spot over and over and over and over again. They get your pattern coming in and out and they know exactly where to lay down to where they can smell it or see kind of what's happening. And, And then they just go in the middle of the night. So you have to be or at least I've had to be super strategic on how that bait is placed, where it's placed, how I enter, how I exit. Um, and I found I'm starting to have a lot more success being super smart in that. Like this past season, I, I trudged in a mile and a half in this big block of woods, hundred pounds of corn on the back, put it out. This is July, you know, steaming hot ticks, chiggers and Alabama <laughs> snakes, everything else. And the bachelor group came in and we could identify the shooter we want out of the group. Okay. That's the one we want. Then slowly over time, move the bait, you know, 300 yards closer into my entry point, you know, three or four times, you know, until I got him about 
hundred yards from my entry point and he would until he started showing up. And so I actually did it on two different ends. So it's big block and I, I pulled him on this end and then I pulled him on say the south end, right? And but he, he kept showing up on the south end. And the season opened October 15th, but that deer would not show up in daylight until November, around November 15th. He did two daylight appearances like right before dark. And the third day I was in the stand on a good wind. And sure enough, here he came, you know, and uh, I didn't shoot him. I ended up shooting one of those binds that hangs down. It was like a 30 yard shot right at last mm-hmm. light. And, uh, but my point is it worked, you know, it worked. And uh, if I'd have been sitting there October 15th, every single day, then that just, that just puts more pressure on the spot, more human scent. And then that deer doesn't show up on November 15th. You know, he just goes to the other, goes somewhere else, you know? Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah, I I like that. I've heard I've heard like Lee talk about that a little bit too. Like maybe not to the extent that uh, it is in like a place like like Atlanta or something, but you know, on these smaller tracks with like you really do have to think about that access because if you're hunting a four or five acre or maybe just a couple acre piece, like you know, that buck could probably see you the second you step on that property. So how are you going to access it or when are you going to access it when he's not going to be sitting there perched up waiting for you? That's you know, right. it, only, it only takes a couple of times for him to be like, Oh, okay. I see what's going on here. I don't live here anymore. Yeah. yeah. I mean, a mature deer, man, you could, you bump them. I mean, you might still get them on camera, but they're so smart, man. Like people always public land hunters are always like, man, the big deer are right by the parking lot. You know, you, you, a lot of times they're right there, even on a hundred acre block. I mean, they, they just, the big deer will get so used to watching you coming in and out of the sand, stay on the same spot. And they're, they are, the ground scent is, I've been telling Cheeto the spot we're going on this other deer. There's only one way in and one way out of that spot. And I almost want to like hinge cut a bunch of trees to like shield our way in and way out. So the deer can't walk across our ground scent. They have to go on the high side of it Mm -hmm. um, to like create a barrier for that entry point. Cause in our game, it's really all about entry point. Yeah. And if you're not go- if you're not coming in on the deer in a good angle, then you're really just getting lucky. You know what I mean? Yeah. I wanted to, I definitely didn't want to get, let you guys get off here. without talking about without talking about high hopes. I mean, uh, what an incredible buck. Can you briefly tell me the story of that? Yeah, man, absolutely. Uh, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I can go the long version or the short version, but I'll go, I'll go the short version. If you want, if anybody wants to see the longer version or whatever, it's, I told the whole story on seek one. So you just go to their, go to their YouTube channel and uh, it's all on there. But in a nutshell, uh, you know, I, I first caught the deer on camera in 2018 and um, you know, he was a giant then I would have shot him. then. it's not like I was letting him go. Uh, ended up killing him in 2020. Um, and it was just crazy where this deer lived. I mean, he was just in the worst possible deer. You wouldn't think a deer lived in it. It was just a jungle of vines and mess. Um, and it was crazy. Like I would drive past this place every single day. And for some reason I just had this gut check. Like it was like the Holy spirit. Like you need to stop right there and go look in that mess. But I never did just was like, nah, there's no deer there. There's no deer. Finally, one day I just, I just had to stop walked up this little ridge and looked and it looked like an elk had just been through there. I mean, it just hit every tree. I mean, it's the biggest rubs I'd ever seen. And, um, 
that was kind of turned out that was kind of his little bedding right outside of his little bedding area. And uh, he was actually had another deer with him that no lie was 180 inches with zero deductions, just a perfect six by six, which having him plus that other deer in one season on camera, is just, it's unbelievable. I mean, is people is that the trail cam that uh, pick that's like pinned on your profile and you see like two giants in one photo, like in the dark? Yeah. 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 I, I, cause I heard it like, I was like, there's no way that's Alabama. And there's not only one, there's two giants in one picture. <laughs> it was stupid. It was absolutely stupid. Like, it just, just never happens. And the way that these deer just had gotten into a spot that nobody could hunt, even if they wanted to poach, like the way it was set up, there's just a road, there's a railroad, there's a, like a river, like slash Creek. And then there's like all this private, like almost gated fenced in old County land and they had just pressed into this really thick patch and just gotten really old and big living in there. And, um, yeah. So, I mean, I had those two run together all summer, had them on camera, you know, going nuts with trying to figure out the best way to do it. I just surrounded that little area with cell cameras, had like five or six cameras running, trying to pattern them. And, um, and then when the season opened October 15th, they, they vanished. I mean, they just disappeared. They went off the map. I don't know how, I still don't know where they went or what happened, but, um, you know, in my mind that they were, you know, in some taxidermist freezer somewhere, somewhere <laughs> killed them, you know, they were, they were gone. And, uh, it's just, it was just kind of, it was really, it, when you have a deer like that on camera, it's, it can be traumatic almost on your psyche, but, um, you know, then it was like mid round Thanksgiving, uh, had a picture pop through at 3 a.m. and it was high hopes. And he'd walk back in that old road, that original road that I found him on. And just, it was like a foggy picture of him walking towards his little bedding area. And, um, and then, uh, so I had kind of two stands in that area. And the night that I shot him, uh, the morning I shot him that night before, I flipped a coin because there was two different stands. There was like one that I preferred better. It set up better, had a better, had a better, you know, set up all around it. The other one I didn't like near as much. It was kind of open, a bunch of pines, kind of a weird setup. And so I got the little flip a coin app and I was just, now heads, I go to the stand, tells I go to the other stand. And it kept telling me to go to the stand I didn't want to go to like three times in a row. So I was like, dang it, I guess I'll go to that stand. <laughs> went there on the morning. When I walked into the stand, I blew a deer. Blew a deer, first thing walking in, and that just your confidence level just goes to zero when that happens. And I got up in the stand, and 7.30 a.m., he just came trotting down this road. Uh, I mean, it was just – it's it, at that point, I kind of blacked out. <laughs> and just because I had the deer on camera, I knew he was there, obviously. So I, like, prepared mentally because I was filming everything. I had the camera, I had the GoPro and all that. And so I knew there was going to be a lot of moving parts if this deer ever came out. So I rehearsed like a thousand times. Like, okay, slowly get your release, slowly get your bow set up, make sure the camera's in focus, make sure the GoPro's turned on. Like I'd practice this a thousand mm -hmm. times. As soon as he started to come out, I just went into like auto mode, autopilot, and just somehow it just all worked out, you know. And when I drew, I had to draw back. And he was behind like a little, some limbs or like his vitals. I couldn't get a clear shot on his vitals. So I held and then, which felt like 10 minutes, but when you watch the video, it's literally 10 seconds, you know? And I let down because I thought he was going to stay there forever. And as soon as I let down, which is as a bow hunter, you know, letting down is the worst thing. Um, 
And then he took those up a couple extra steps, got broadside, showed the vitals, and I drew back. And, and uh, I don't remember looking through the peep site. I don't remember <laughs> any of that. I just know the air. I just, as soon as the arrow, I let the arrow go, I knew it was good. And uh, I saw him fall over. So, oh, no. It was, yeah. Yeah. And then when I, when I walked up on the deer, even then, I knew he was huge. But I remember telling him, I mean, I was like, y'all think he's 170? Y'all think he's one? Like, I just, inches, I never measured a deer before. So I don't, I didn't know. I never put a tape measure on a deer. To measure that deer, I had to Google how to measure a deer, you know? Because um, I just never even had one I needed to put a tape on. And, uh, yeah, and so my father-in-law came over. He's a big deer hunter. He knew how to do all that stuff. And we measured him at, like, just right at 200 and I just was, couldn't believe it. it was blown away. And then like the, it kind of started to spread and then got the, uh, got the actual professionals to, to measure him. And he came out one ninety nine and four eights officially. So, which ends up being like number one in the semi regular category, number two, typical and number four, non-typical in the state of Alabama for archery. That's so, Yeah, it was a, uh, it was a, it was a, it was God, a hundred percent God. So, like, when people want to have us on a podcast or like, you know, because we do the social media thing, you know, they think I guess that we know what we're talking about when it comes to hunting <laughs> and strategy, <laughs> yeah, and um, you know all that other stuff. But it really just boils down to, um, God, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord literally just decided he wanted to bless me that day and I'm thankful for it every day. So I'll take opportunities like this to tell him about, tell people about it and how good he is. You know, if I got the deer, didn't get the deer, he's good. But um, anyway, that's kind of it in a nutshell. <laughs> sure helps when you get the deer though, huh? <laughs> <laughs> helps when you get the deer. How yeah. long was the encounter? Like from him first stepping out to you releasing the arrow? Um, I mean, I'm, Yes, I have to go back and watch. I think like seven minutes, if I remember. The, the See, tape. that's too long. That's too that's long. Too long. <laughs> the tape like seven minutes. Yeah, and it was – but here's the thing about it is like, you know how when deer come out, you know if they're nervous? Like deer, yeah. you can just tell their ears are kind of just like radars moving around. They're, they're putting their nose in the air. They're constantly on edge. That deer, not one time did he act fidgety or nervous. He just was calm, cool, and collected the whole time. So I knew I was good. You know, I just knew like I could, I had a little bit of latitude to mess with the camera. Like if he was like looking up or moving around or his ears were doing all that, it would have freaked me out. And none of that would, who knows. But because he was just cool and it made it easy. And what's another crazy thing too is after the whole, the deer was shot, we had him kind of set up in that road where I shot him. We're doing pictures and all that. And my buddy who was with me then was like, man, I can't believe this deer came out. And the wind had completely shifted within a 30-minute time span and was blowing right at my stand. And it might have been doing that the whole time. I don't even remember. But, uh, yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> the uh, the first time his head like came in my direction, I'd be like, all right, camera's out of the question. <laughs> <laughs> That's not Poor happening. <laughs> yeah. I knew, yeah. like, I just, what was crazy, though, is, like, I'd been filming for, like, two years um, before that, and just, you know, crappy little camera, I bought it, uh, Facebook Marketplace for, like, 150 bucks, you know, so you go watch our old videos, the quality's garbage, the audio's garbage, the editing's garbage, but I just love doing it, I love filming, I love catching nature, I love the editing piece, and it's just, it's a hobby, 
And so I kind of was like, I'm going to be a cameraman first and a deer hunter second. I just kind of settled that in my mind. And I want to catch as much as I can. And then if I get the harvest, that's just the cherry on top. Um, I, I don't know like how I was able to convince myself of that, but somehow I did. And thank, yeah. thank Lord I did, you know. Cheeto, were you did were you around this whole like preseason when he was like stressing about this deer? Did you have any intel from the I side was. or no? <laughs> uh yeah, the uh I did not know. Well, I had already messaged BJ. BJ could tell you the story I, if I disappear. But BJ had I'd messaged him saying, "Hey man, we kind of do the same thing because a guy at our church was like, "Hey, you need to meet BJ because y'all y'all do the same kind of thing." And I think it'd be cool if y'all met up and um uh and I reached out to him and he didn't respond for a few weeks and then then he <laughs> he was chasing a big buck man. What would you yeah, exactly? Exactly. And then, I'm bad about responding. I'm bad. About yeah. Responding. And then, which is where I'm, I come in play. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I respond. To, I respond yeah. to everybody. Um, but, uh, but yeah. And then afterwards we met and then we met after he, we met up after he killed the deer, after he killed, I hope so. But I wasn't around for it, but I was around afterwards. <laughs> and it was yeah. awesome. Got to see a blow up on the other end. Um, yeah, he was he was high on clouds for sure. I'm just going to ask you all one more question, okay? This is what we try to do at the end of every podcast. Uh, we call it the little close but no cigar segment of that one time you had an opportunity, whether that be a shot, shot opportunity or just an encounter of a deer that you didn't seal the deal on, but it still haunts you. So, And Cheeto has to go first since he's yes. losing battery. Um. Yeah, so I guess my closest on a, like a really big deer, it was one that I just decided that I don't need to kill this deer because it was I was at a friend's club, you know the the invite and the hey you know shoot whatever um, saying which I hate more than anything, um, and I made the you know specification hey so like even if like some giant walks out like I. Probably not going to happen, but if a giant walked out, it's when y'all been hunting, and they were like, use your discretion. And I was like, what does that mean? They're saying, just do whatever. And it's like, so at that point, you're like, okay, so really they're thinking, like, you better not shoot the deer, you know? You better let him walk because you're a guest here. So I had a probably 140-inch deer um, 15 yards away for probably 15, 20 minutes, in shooting range, broadside, looking around, walking, galloping, frolicking right in front of me for 15 or 20 minutes. And it took all of me not to shoot the deer, but uh, I did not get the opportunity to shoot. Uh, and that just kind of, from then on, I've always said when people invite me, man, I appreciate the invite but i'm i'm okay and like, yeah like, unless they're like the guy from ohio that's like seriously come kill any deer you want it's like i'm down for that like when someone's like that open to like please man i i don't hunt there it's open to you uh i'm in <laughs> but uh so that's why i don't do that anymore so still haunts don't blame me. you i don't blame you yeah that would man that would have been so tough but i mean i guess you did salvage the relationship out of the deal still yeah, yeah, we're, we're also <laughs> really close. So, but they don't invite me, and I don't go <laughs> <laughs> for good reason. Yeah, 
BJ, what about you? Yeah, for me. So I guess I mean last year the the deer Groot. So it's on our it's on the YouTube channel. It's uh, the story of Groot or whatever. Big non typical deer I was on last year. Uh, I mean I had it set up perfectly, like I told y'all. I mean the built the whole season up to that one encounter. But the mistake that I made that I still can't sleep good at night is because the bait, the corn had basically been evaporated. And he, he daylighted twice in a row, but I knew that there was like no feed left. So I went in at like 10 a.m. the morning before I hunted and I just sprinkled some fresh bait just to kind of spice it up a little bit. And then I hunted that afternoon and he came in and stopped about 10 yards short of the bait where I could get a shot and stood there for 30 minutes because he just knew the, the ground scent. He just stood there and just stared around and just looked around forever. And then finally just started to walk off. And I took a shot at like 30 yards, but it was like at last light and this big black vine was hanging down. And we, I didn't realize I cut the vine until Cheeto and I got down later and found the arrow, looked at the path and saw what, what happened. But if I would have just hunted, he would have come right in there, you know, and just it would have been teed up perfectly and it would have been drawn up exactly to plan. But that one mistake of just putting my feet in that spot, uh, it cost me that deer. So lesson learned. It's crazy. The little things it's like you yeah. take one, one step too close to where they're coming from. You're like, Oh no, can't take yeah. that back. <laughs> that they, just, they just know. Yeah. You, uh, man, I love, that's why it's, that's why it's hunting. I mean, that's why it's one, hunting. one little thing like that runs it all. That's why, but it sure makes it sweet when you get one, when it all works out. Cause you know, all the things that can go wrong. Oh Yeah. Heck yeah. I ended up closing out the season pretty good last year. So I'm, I'm happy, but you know, so the mistakes stick out in your mind more than success sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Hey, we'd love to do another episode with you guys at some point. Um, Heck yeah, man. maybe, maybe post yeah. deer season or well, for, you got your deer season on another two, another two months away. It seems like, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, um, we'll connect again and do another episode with, with you guys. If you guys would like to, um, and then for people that want to connect with you guys or consume, podcast content videos videos you put together give us not only uh suburban bowman stuff but give us your uh, or bow hunter stuff give me your personal stuff too yeah so i mean my personal stuff is at bj davis with a z but i probably want i'm not going to reply much on that if you <laughs> <laughs> but i mean we're we're at the suburban bow hunter on instagram and tiktok and youtube and then our podcast is the suburban bow hunter podcast we don't do a lot of podcasting. Cheetah's been begging us to do more. Um, but, you know, honestly, suburban bow hunting, like everything we just talked about is pretty much everything you can talk about when it comes to suburban bow hunting. Like mm-hmm. there's just like, you can't really get in depth with the, the um, techniques as <laughs> much as like multiple episodes. So we really just talk about our faith and talk about our families and we talk about hunting and just, so if you're looking for like informative <laughs> learn about hunting listen to you guys i, mean, <laughs> I don't know about that we're, uh, we're not gonna really talk a whole lot about that but uh we do have some really cool stuff coming up like we're doing the the velvet hunt in tennessee this weekend uh, we're gonna collaborate with seek one uh macy watkins is gonna be with us i don't know if you know her she's a tiktok girl mm-hmm. that does a bunch of outdoor stuff and then um we're both on some pretty good deer this season so we're gonna be telling those stories and we'll probably be back over in atlanta for the doe season and uh uh just you know well of course we, we're big turkey guys so we'll be doing turkey stuff and all that so yeah i mean follow along it's a it's a different vein you know 
uh, we're not as cool as Seek One. We're like Seek One's uh, little stepsister. Won't happen again, I swear. <laughs> Cheetah, what about you? Where can where can people follow your uh, your personal? Oh, oh no, did we lose him at wow. the very end? I think we lost him, but he's just or, he's or he's, he's just super happy. <laughs> 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 that's when you take a picture of it and just be like all right i'm gonna send him an instagram picture of that i'm taking one on my phone i'm gonna say dude you look pumped up but if anybody wants to get a hold of him just go through the suburban bow hunter i mean he's on there too so okay uh, yeah we'll just we, we connect that way i think he's at cheeto marlo on instagram um he's easy to find but he'll he'll be all over the place too man and Anyway, we're super honored to ha- that y'all had us, man. It means means more than you know that people care and, and ask us to do stuff like this, and it's, it's a big deal. So appreciate you guys a bunch, man. Yeah, of course. Thank you guys so much for checking out the Hunter's Advantage podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcast, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you guys so much, and we'll see you in the next episode.